Susan. Jordan. What's going on? What's going on? Welcome to uh, my new home. I'm excited to be here. I'm stoked to have you here. Just for everyone listening, <laughs> I am on with Susan Niebergall of Susan Niebergall Fitness. She is my co-coach in the inner circle. Actually, you know what? I think what I'll do is I'll publish this tomorrow. So it's Saturday right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to publish this tomorrow. And tomorrow, Sunday, Sunday, May 16th, is going to be the last day that people mm. can join the Inner Circle for 30% off. So if you go to the link in the show notes and you want to join the Inner Circle, today is the last day. The day that you're listening to this is the last day that you can join the Inner Circle for 30% off. If you use the code 30 for 30, I'll put all the information in the show notes. But I'm on with Susan right now. Susan is the co-coach in the Inner Circle. She comes to me once a month and we do the entire new Inner Circle edition. So that includes the new workout programs, new nutrition guidelines. We have uh, Chef Xavier who does all the recipes on his end. We do the exercise video tutorials, which that was a whole mess. We just did those downstairs <laughs> in my new gym, which has been completely silent and empty every day I've been here. But today there was a group of children in there oh. just throwing stuff around and being so, uh, uh, what's the, there was a ruckus. I was thinking the Breakfast Club yeah. movie. There's a ruckus there in a, there. There was definitely a ruckus. Parents, please, please, please <laughs> do not ever let your kids do that. Uh, so yeah, so we did that. So Susan is here. And tonight we're going to go get some margaritas. Yeah. Get some margaritas. All over that. But uh, what I've done right now is I had just put up a... Actually, before we get into it, Susan, can you tell people where they can follow you if they don't follow you already? Sure. Uh, on Instagram, Susan Niebergall Fitness. And really, you have to spell it N-I-E because it's otherwise you'll never find me. So I have one of those names that's really picky with that. Um, and that's on Instagram. That's on Facebook. That is on YouTube. Um, Twitter, it's, it's all the same. And I have a podcast that uh, Jordan and I record on every other month um, called the Strong and Lean at Any Age podcast. Amazing. So so what Susan and I do every month uh, for the podcast, one on mine and then the next on hers, is we do Q&As. So I just put up a Q&A box on my Instagram, which I took down as soon as I got all these questions. We got some really good questions, and we're just going to go through uh, some of the, the questions that people asked on my Instagram Q&A, and we're going to answer them in depth here. So with that said, Susan, I'm going to see which one we want to do first. Um, okay, here's here's a good one to start with. Casey Nicole Fit wrote, um, eating and training for someone who wants to look really good but also wants to be strong as hell. So, so Susan, what would you recommend for someone in terms of their eating and their training habits for someone who wants to look really good? I would imagine that means lower body fat percentage, more muscle definition, but also want to be really strong. So they don't want to have such a high body fat percentage. A lot of powerlifters are like, oh, you got to get as big as possible. And that includes adding body fat. What would you? What would your recommendations be for someone who wants to look really good, but also wants to be really strong? I think just depending on where that person is in the fat loss continuum, if they have a good bit of fat loss they want to lose, or maybe just a little bit. But Boy, in general, either a, a nice, modest deficit or maintenance even mm. with, from a calorie perspective. And then take your focus off of the, the weight in the scale and now put it into how are you going to get stronger in the gym? What are you going to do? Hammer home your workouts. Um, bring, bring the intensity. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that people don't do is they... They may get into maintenance, or but their focus is still on the scale, and they're too concerned with the scale going up a couple pounds when they go into maintenance versus taking that focus and all the energy that they put into worrying about that 
and put it into a workout program, mm. you know, to, that is suited for your goals. And if strength is your goal, then a workout program that is suited for that. So more focus on the workout end of it um, and less obsession over the scale end of it, I think is a, is a place to start. But again, if you have a lot of fat you still wanna lose, then you know, get into a decent deficit that we talk about all the time, a goal weight times 12, something like that. And, and while you're in a deficit, still hammer home those workouts and focus on getting as strong as you can. Because I, I think there's a misconception out there that when you're in a deficit, you shouldn't be lifting heavy or you yes. shouldn't be doing that, I right? don't know where it comes from. I, I don't, don't either. know why people would say that. I, yeah. And I get it all the time. I know you do too. Yeah. And it's, it's like, no, you actually need to really hammer it home. Lord knows we, we've all built strength that way. You know, it's funny. As I said, I don't know where that comes from. Actually, I think I do or at least one of the reasons why. So I know one of the reasons people have told me they, they didn't think they should be lifting heavy or strength training while they were losing fat is because they were equating getting stronger with building a bigger muscle, yeah. right? And so they thought because like in order to optimize muscle growth, being in a caloric surplus, you should, you don't have to be in a caloric surplus, but it does optimize muscle growth. It's like you go to a gunfight and you bring a knife, like you, you could win, but you're probably <laughs> gonna be more likely yeah. to win if you have a gun. It's like same thing with building muscle. Like it will optimize it if you're in a calorie surplus. So people think, well, why would I strength train if I'm not, if I'm in a calorie deficit? And mm -hmm. so it's a, it's a flawed logic. Number one, there are many other benefits to strength training outside of simply building muscle, right? Increased bone density, increased athleticism, mm. uh, in, like just overall being a healthier, stronger individual. No one's ever complained about being too strong. <laughs> no one has ever been like, oh, shucks, I really I wish I wasn't this strong. <laughs> like definitely there are some people who they, they, they would like less less muscle mass there are some people who are like you know i have more muscle mass than i'd like in my in my legs or whatever it is i know that that is a real thing for some people but no one's ever complained about being too strong yeah. like no one's ever lifted up their massive bag of luggage going to the airport and said god i wish this was harder yeah, like get right ever. It, it, being strong is always a good thing mm -hmm. so i think there's this misconception that you, you shouldn't strength train when you're in a calorie deficit because it's not gonna work. It's like, oh no, it's gonna work. And I very much believe if you're not getting stronger in a calorie deficit, then either your strength training and or your nutrition isn't right. You're, like, you're doing something wrong. You should still get stronger while you're in a calorie deficit. Sure, and I think sometimes people say they don't have the energy and, and that would be, take a look at how big is your deficit then? Maybe mm. that's it's just too big. Yeah. Um, but certainly it's possible to build a lot of strength in a deficit. Yeah. And the other thing uh, on the other side of the coin is if you don't have the energy and let's say your deficit isn't too big, maybe you're doing too much in your workouts. Maybe mm -hmm. you need to reduce the total volume. Mm -hmm. Maybe you need to take a few more rest days a week. People massively overestimate how much they need to do in the gym in order to make progress. Yes. They think they have to be in there five, six, seven days a week. They think they need to be doing 10, 12, 15 exercises a day. It's like, no, you don't. No. The, the workout I did two days ago was, uh, the last time I worked out was two days ago. I did four exercises. Yeah. I did deadlifts, I did squats, I did RDLs, and I did hanging leg raises. Four exercises, brutal workout. Yep. It's, it's not about how much you do, it's about the quality of what you do. And if your goal is to get stronger, 
and also to look good, to have a lower body fat percentage, uh, and to uh, to have more muscle definition, get stronger while looking good. It's not about doing more than you need to. I, for, for me, it's about training and eating like an athlete, is I think the best way to put it. Yeah. I, I think if you look at the best athletes in the world, they're not doing, like you can do bodybuilding style programs. Obviously I'm biased, like I've always done more athletic based programs, that's what we do in the inner circle. Like I prefer, I prefer athletic-based programs for everybody because they improve how you move, they improve how you feel, they improve your mobility, they improve your strength, they improve your performance, and they also improve your aesthetics. They get you stronger, they build more muscle, they get more definition, and they help you burn fat as long as your nutrition is in check. So I, I think if you really want to optimize it, for me, for the vast majority of people, if you're, one of the, if you're the minority of individuals who is competing in a bodybuilding or physique show, well, then you have to understand, number one, you're the minority. Number two is that your main goal is not to really get as strong as possible. Your main goal is to look a certain way, right? Like when you step on stage in a physique show, you're getting judged on your physique, which that's a whole separate topic, which candidly I hate. I don't mm. like the idea of someone being like, well, let me just look at your body and tell you what I think about it. Yeah. But either way, uh, when people step on stage as a physique competitor, their goal is to look a certain way not to perform a certain way and if you want to get the best of both worlds i think training like an athlete is the best thing you can do and it'll improve your quality of life too absolutely uh, beyond measure and and not just from a physical standpoint but just from the the mental and emotional standpoint too the changes that happen with that too yeah and, and i just want to tag on one thing too people wonder think that you have to do 10 to 15 exercises or whatever and, and of course you don't and they also seem to think you need to, like, how long are you working? How long should I work out? Mm. And it's really not so much about time, but it's more about what you had just said about the quality that you bring to what you're doing. Correct. Which, forever it's worth, I'm, I'm going to keep plugging the inner circle this episode because it's the last day that you can get 30% off. And I don't. I know we're going to get emails from people being like, oh, but I just missed it by like a day. It's like, this is it. This is the this last is it. day. It's, <laughs> been, it's been a week. Yes. So uh, go to the link in the description in the show notes and use code 30 for 30 if you want to get 30% off. But... This is why in the Inner Circle app, we have things like rest timers that come on. Their set is done, the rest timer yep. comes on. I think that's one of the really most overlooked aspects of high quality training. Like, I'm imagining people saying like, okay, well, how do you improve the quality of your training? Well, number one is stop texting, stop watching videos, stop being on social media and set timers, set your rest time timer. So, you know, if it's 90 seconds, if it's two minutes, if it's 60 seconds, you stay on pace. A lot of times people are like, oh, yeah, like, I just can't be in the gym for two hours. If you're in the gym for two hours, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, 100%. Like, you're true. doing it wrong. Like The only people who might possibly be in the gym for two hours are high-level physique competitors who are candidly probably on a lot of drugs so that they can recover more quickly and they can do that type of volume and still be okay. That's a separate topic. A lot of people think, oh, they're on steroids, so it's easy. It's like, no, no, no. People who are on steroids, they can actually usually recover faster, so they just work harder. Mm -hmm. It's like they're working really, really hard. Steroids doesn't just like inherently make it easier. Um, but this is if you want to improve the quality of your training, keep your rest times in check. If the rest time says three minutes, keep it to three minutes. Then you know that's a real strength-based movement because that's a long rest period. If the rest time says 60 seconds, you put 60 seconds on the clock and you follow it. You stop texting, you stop watching YouTube videos, you get back to the workout, and you're going to notice the quality of your workout improves. My son Mike has this exact thing happen to him now that he's using the, the app. Oh, really? The yeah, because yeah, he would be there. And I would see him in the gym and on the phone in between. And that rest period that was supposed to be 60 seconds became, you know, <laughs> you know, really, really long. So, yeah, his time in the gym has been cut down substantially. But he's working 
probably harder now because of that. I believe it. And listen, I've done that too. I actually, I had to, sometimes I'll post the workouts I'm doing on my Instagram story. And what I realized is that I would like edit the video as I was working out. And I was like, this is taking way too long. So I I record myself during the workout, but I don't edit it until after the workout. I was doing the same. (laughs) I was doing the exact same. Yeah. Okay. So this is going to feed into the next question pretty well. B underscore Zamorano said, how many calories do you burn in every workout session? And uh, I wanted to hear what your thoughts are on this question. Not even necessarily like to answer, okay, well, how many do you burn? But what do you think about this question? How many calories do you burn in every workout? Well, first of all, I have no idea. (laughs) Okay, so I have no idea how many calories I burn. And, And I think because... I've learned over time that that is not a number to chase or, or t- t- to value that much because you're never really going to get an accurate number. And here's a great example of that I, I am now an, an Apple Watch owner, right? And I don't know what the hell I'm doing with an Apple Watch, but I'm learning about it. And I worked out uh, on my bike the other day. And the bike has a little hookup thing that will calculate how many calories, quote, you're burning. And, and the app that I was using has its own as well. So I had the app, I had the bike, and I had my watch all watching my workout and trying to determine how many calories I was burning. I got three significantly different numbers. Mm. And, and that to me was just like, this is a great example as to why you can't chase that number because I don't know which one's right. Yes. I would like to think maybe the watch is closer, but ironically, the watch number was... I think that was the, it was telling me I burned the most and I can guarantee you I didn't burn that many. Yeah. You know, I mean, and so I think we get hung up on that and then we try to use exercise now as a form, a way to burn calories. Yeah. And I think when that relationship turns to be like that, I think that's a big problem. Um, And it's going to be a source of incredible frustration. Yeah, I agree. I think the, I agree with everything you said, first and foremost, uh, any tracker that tells you how many calories you've burned in a workout is, is notoriously wrong, usually upwards of 50% incorrect. Um, we've spoken about this before on podcasts. You and I have spoken mm-hmm. about this before on this podcast about it. Um, a lot of people use the calories burned as a, as a way to measure whether or not their workout was good. Right. If they burn more calories in that workout, it means the workout was good. If they burn fewer calories, it means the workout was bad. And this goes all the way to if they if they miss a workout, well, now they think that like they can't eat because they missed a workout because they didn't burn calories that day. This is a very very dangerous way of thinking, uh, and it doesn't do you good. Wait, the the goal of working out is not to burn calories. Correct. And, and to take that one step further, the goal of working out is not to lose fat. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee some people are going to be upset when they hear this because every time I say it, they're always I get DMs about it like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, who are you to tell me what my goal is? You can choose whatever goal you want in terms of what the, the sum and substance of your – the net total of what your workouts do, what your nutrition does, what your sleep does, what your lifestyle does. You can choose if your goal is fat loss, if your goal is muscle gain, if your goal is athleticism, if your goal is deadlifting, if your goal is jujitsu, if your goal is I don't care. You can choose the goal. 
but the goal of your workout i'm promising you is not to burn calories the goal of your workout is to get stronger mm -hmm. or to build muscle or to become more athletic it's not difficult to burn calories burning calories doesn't inherently make you better at literally anything if you want to burn calories jump up and down congratulations yeah. you're yeah. burning calories yeah. if you want to burn calories do literally any movement whatsoever that you want you're going to burn it but just because you're sweating just because your heart is elevated just because you're tired doesn't mean you're getting better it doesn't mean you're getting stronger it doesn't mean you're getting more mobile more flexible more athletic nothing so the goal of the workout is not to say oh i burned 800 calories today because you probably didn't number one and number two is because that's not a valid measurement of progress like how do you improve from that yeah. Like you can improve your deadlift. You can say, cool, I went from 100 pounds to 110 pounds. You can improve your splits. You can improve your mobility. You can improve your chin-ups. You can improve your push-ups. You can improve your mile time. You can improve your handstand. You can improve all of these things measurably and objectively and say, this is how far I've come. Like just burning more calories, that's yeah. your goal. It's going to create a very disordered relationship with exercise mm -hmm. and with food, and it doesn't get you anywhere. So this is a very long roundabout way of saying, don't worry mm -hmm. about how many calories you're burning in your workouts. Focus on how many calories you're taking in and your progress elsewhere. So a lot of people will always say, well, how do I know if I'm, gonna, if I'm in a calorie deficit if I'm not tracking how many calories I'm burning for my workout? It's like, well, number one, we already know the calorie uh, burn trackers are notoriously incorrect. So all you have to do is if you track your calorie intake, which is a constant, you can consistently track how many calories you're taking in with very good accuracy. If you track that along with your actual progress, your weight loss, your measurements, your pictures, uh, your clothing size, like if you track all of that along with your calories in, then you have all the variables you need. Mm -hmm. If you're making progress, cool, then you keep going. If you're not making progress, maybe you just slightly reduce your calories. And that's it. Yeah. You only need the variable of how many calories you're yeah. eating. You don't need the, you add the calories burned, now it's a whole separate variable that's very difficult to control and with a high degree of inaccuracy. So to answer the question, B underscore Zamorano, don't worry about it. Yeah. I have literally no clue how many either. calories I burn in a workout. I, I don't know. And realistically, it's probably not that much. Yeah. In a strength training workout, maybe 150 to 200. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. And in a jujitsu workout, maybe 200 to 300, depending on how long it is. But like, I don't care. And those are those are complete and utter guesses. You know, and, ju and just one more thing real quick. It, it, the whole disordered relationship with exercise is so, it, it, it rears its ugly head I think with the people that have that struggle with taking a rest day are usually the ones that are focused on calorie burn. Mm. You know, a, a lot of them are. Yep. And, and I and I think that is just a whole nother, you know, hornet's nest. Um, not taking rest days and not recovering and, and, and all that kind of thing. So the, the relationship with exercise needs to be from the positive to build strength, muscle, to feel better, to move better, all those things, and not so much as this is my avenue to burn calories. It's just not efficient Yeah. either. Agreed. All right, so next question. This is from J.L. Minatella. This is, gonna, this is a pretty big question, and there are many avenues to discuss here. But she wrote, why do I constantly feel hungry? Is it all in my head? Probably, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, that, that could go a million different ways, the, right? Yep. A million. I mean, the, the most obvious right out of the gate would be, well, perhaps you're eating too few calories that you can feel good at and be consistent with, meaning your Correct. deficit's just too low. I mean, that's the most obvious one right out of the gate. Um, in which case, 
look at your deficit. What is, what is your deficit? How many calories are you eating? Um, are you thinking that if my deficit is 1,600 and if I eat 1,300, that's better, um, and now you can't keep up with it and you are hungry all the time, or some scenario like that, it's, it's time to look at that um, for, for one obvious track. Another track, and which was interesting in how the question was written, uh, is it all in my head, dot, probably, yeah, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's kind of a legit thing. And I remember going through this too. You know, we, we get programmed to think that the second our stomach growls, it's like a diary emergency, yeah, yeah. right? And we need to go eat something. You know, I was the queen of having a snack with me in my car all the time, going grocery shopping or going to the mall or something. I'm gone for an hour and a half, not three days, yep. you know? And I, and I think that it's, it's the fear of being uncomfortable with, with being hungry. And so could that be at play? Absolutely, I feel like it could be. And, and in, in which case, you want to, first of all, make sure you, you have enough calories on board. You want to look at the kinds of foods you're eating and increasing protein and things to help keep you feeling fuller, all of that stuff too. But, you know... It's not an emergency. Like, don't don't think that the the second you have a stomach growl, you have to go grab something to eat. Um, I, I think we jump at that too soon, and then that just plays in our head a lot. Yeah, agreed. And, and I'll add to this a, a separate because this could go in so many different yeah. ways. There are many things to possibly discuss here. I completely agree with everything you just said. There's another avenue as well that I think is very common, and I'll, I'll preface by saying. If you've been listening for a while, you know both Susan and myself are very big proponents of, of calorie counting. Um, it's, it's a really great way for many people to understand how much they're eating and to get everything in check. There are other people, though, who counting calories can exacerbate some disordered eating habits. It's a very real thing. And one thing I've noticed is in, in, in people who often struggle with disordered eating, if they start counting calories, there are many possible issues that come with it, one of them being they're always hungry. Mm-hmm. And, and what will happen is, and if, if this is you, th- like pay attention to this because I think many people listening might be like, oh, my God, that's what I do. If When you count calories, as soon as you start counting for the day, the day begins, you start counting your calories, many people who have a, a, not a great relationship with food, what they'll, they'll do is essentially from the moment they take in a calorie, it's a countdown until they can't eat anymore. It's a yeah. very negative way to, to view food, and this is how a lot of people often exacerbate disordered eating habits from calorie counting, not because calorie counting is bad, but because for whatever reason, when they start the day and they, the first piece of food goes in their mouth, it's like, oh, th- I only have this many calories left until I can't eat. I only, And I yes. can only have this many calories yep. left, and every bite they take, they can't even enjoy the food because every single bite is just another reduction of how many calories you have left until the day is over and you are quote-unquote not allowed to eat now ironically what will happen is once their calories are used up they'll they'll feel get anxiety they'll get anxious and they'll get really really hungry and then they binge Mm -hmm. and this creates a, a terrible binge restrict cycle where oftentimes what they'll do is they'll eat fewer calories earlier in the day so that they have more to eat at night and then they try to eat more at night to fill up but then once it's all gone they just can't stop eating so this is a really important uh behavior to be aware of whether it's with yourself or with your clients and if you're noticing that you're counting calories and you're always thinking about food. You're always thinking about the next bite and how the next bite will just lead you to one step fewer calories throughout the day. Calorie counting might not be right for you. Yeah. 
And, and keep in mind, this is not me saying calorie counting doesn't work. I literally just said I love calorie counting for many people and it works very well. But like Susan and I have spoken about a lot, if you any progress you make, any like w- physical progress you make built on an unhealthy relationship with food, it will inherently be short term. Right, so it, you might be able to lose weight counting calories, um, but if if the weight you lost was done on a foundation of not a healthy relationship with food, you're going to gain it back. Yeah. Right. So you have to call yourself on that and be objective and say, okay, you know what? Uh, if I'm constantly thinking about food, and I'm counting calories, you need to take a break from calorie counting. And I, and I would just say right off the bat, go to the three plates, two snacks method, which I've spoken about ad infinitum here on this podcast. We have an entire video course on it in the inner circle. Again, pitch coming, 30% off. Today is the last day if you want to join the Inner Circle uh, for 30% off. The link is in the show notes. Use the code 30 for 30. But if you if you haven't tried the three plates, two snacks method, this has worked well for literally thousands and thousands of people in the Inner Circle, clients over the years. It's a great way to uh, make sure you can lose weight and lose body fat while still maintaining a healthy relationship with food. Yeah, and it doesn't mean you can never go back. Correct. Count, right? That's a great I mean, point. Yeah, I mean, you can always go back to calorie counting, but I think this is such such a great take on this that um, take a step away and, and stop with the counting that is causing the obsessive yeah. thoughts. And, and so I, I think the reason that Susan and I went those directions with this question, which was, again, just to reiterate, why do I constantly feel hungry? Is it all in my head? Probably dot, dot, dot. Just going to... I always got to put the dot, dot, dot there because it's part of the question. Yeah. Um, it's always <laughs> completely off topic, but like when someone just sends you like a dot, 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 like you know they're probably pissed, right? It's yeah. like, you there? Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> it's like that dot, dot, dot means something. Yeah. Like if it's just the period, you're good. If it's two, if it's two, I don't know. I don't know what they, was it a mistake? Was it like I think that's a mistake. Yeah, it's one or three more. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. One is like very clear. That's yeah. it. Three is like, hey, what's going on? Why yeah. aren't you answering or something? Two, I can never tell if it's a mistake or if they're trying to make it look not as serious as the oh, three. Okay. Right. I don't know, I don't but know. this is things get lost in translation. Dot etiquette. I have no idea. Dot 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 <laughs> dot. <laughs> Either way, the the reason we went that way is because. The way this this question was phrased led us to believe that it was more of a relationship with food issue as mm-hmm. opposed to food strategy, if you right. So, for example, I mean, obviously, if someone's hungry when they're dieting, like we could say, eat more protein, eat more fruits and vegetables, drink enough water, make sure you're sleeping enough, because all of these things can impact your hunger. Eat on a regular eating schedule, so your hunger hormones get accustomed to that schedule. These the are all real answers. things. These are all yeah. real and obvious. But um, the way the question was phrased made us think that it was much more of a relationship with food issue as opposed to a, uh, hey, like, let's talk about how you're actually structuring your eating. And I think this person knows that, too. Yeah, yeah, just the way she, yeah. she structured the question. Absolutely. The dot, dot, dot. The, yeah, the, the dot, dot, dot. Is it all in my head? Yep. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> all right, let's see. Looking for another question. Okay, this is a good one. It's, uh, it's from Cut With Cause cut with cause and she wrote how do you know the difference between being exhausted and needing to skip a workout versus maybe it's just a mental barrier and you need to push through the workout so in other words i'm just going to paraphrase how do you know when you actually hey you're exhausted you need to take a rest day versus hey 
you just need to push through it. Like you, you might not want to work out, but you just need to push through it. How do you know the difference between those? It's a great question. It's a great question. And, and I think um, the whole rest day thing, uh, geez, I lived that too. It, this sounds like there's a little bit of a fear of taking a day off, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, and that fear is probably based from, I'm afraid if I take that day, even if I am exhausted or I don't feel well or whatever, if I take that day, I'm going to lose my progress, not make any more progress or gain fat from just taking that day when I am physically exhausted. Um, and so part of me says, you have to you have to really ask yourself that question like is, why do i feel like i can't take that day when i don't feel like mm -hmm. it and um be brutally honest with yourself you and i have had so many conversations with people and have asked that kind of question related question and people are honest you know with the feedback on that and i think once you can get to that point now we're ready to let your body recover and give yourself some rest days and God knows when I had to do that, it was not easy. Yep. And it was almost, I, I equate it to something I really don't know from experience, but I assume if you are detoxing legitimately from a drug issue or something and you have these side effects or what the jitters and whatever, blah, 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 it, it wasn't that severe. But for me, it was just like, I have to, I have to, you know, the yeah. fear was really messing with my head and you need to to push through that fear and understand and trust that t your body needs the time off and that when you start allowing your body to recover in whatever rest day pattern you use you will find that not only will your next workout be that much better but you're going to be excited to go back to the gym your relationship with exercise will now take on a whole different view we and we touched on that earlier um in general though for, for me, yeah, now that I have an improved relationship with exercise, I, I now know. I just, I just know my body well enough now, and that comes with experience, to know if it's worth me pushing through or not. And sometimes it's trial and error. You go and, God, this was not a, this was not a good idea. Mm -hmm. And then and maybe you learn, okay, when I felt like this, this was not a great idea. And then maybe down the road, you now know, you know what, today's not a great day, I'm not gonna do it, or whatever. But I think fear drives this more than anything else, and getting over that hump is probably the first hurdle for this. Yeah, 100%. So, so generally, there, we have, I'm, I'm making like broad strokes here, but this is, is generally true. There are two different types of people. There's the person who works out consistently, oftentimes almost every day, if not every day, and it is much harder for this person to miss a workout than it is for that person to actually work out. Like this person, they work out religiously, they say they love working out, and maybe they do love working out, but the idea of not working out creates a lot of anxiety and fear, like you said. Mm -hmm. On the other end of the spectrum, we have people who don't really work out. Uh, they hate working out. They Getting the gym is very, very difficult. They are not consistent with working out. This is the type of person who uh, it's much easier for them to stay home to watch TV than it is to really motivate themselves to get up and go to the gym, right? So we have two different types of people here. I would imagine, just based on this question, uh, that cut with cause is the type of person who works out religiously, mm -hmm. who works out 
a lot, mm-hmm. really loves working out, and the idea of taking a rest day is petrifying. Mm-hmm. Is like you feel like you're going to ruin all your progress, and even though you know logically, even though you would never tell a client or a friend that taking a rest day is going to ruin their progress, for yourself, there's some type of an internal battle going on, being like, oh my god, like I, I don't want to miss this, I don't want to ruin my progress, I don't want to gain weight back, blah, 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 blah. So your question was, how do you know the difference? How do you know the difference between being exhausted and needing to skip a workout versus you're just being a mental barrier and you need to push through? The way you phrase the question tells me like you definitely need to be okay taking some rest days for sure. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the way to figure it out, how do you know the difference? I think one of the easiest ways is is if, if you need to ask yourself which choice is giving you anxiety, right? Is, is going to the gym like more difficult? Maybe it's not even always anxiety, but like it is a good marker. Is going to the gym giving you anxiety or is taking a rest day giving you anxiety? So if you've been working out consistently and you've been going to the gym four, five, six, seven times a week, and the idea of taking this rest day because you're tired makes you anxious, you gotta do the hard thing. You gotta do the thing that's gonna make you anxious. You've gotta take the rest day because it's absolutely ludicrous for you to think that you need to go to the gym every single day and you can't take a rest day and you will not get better. You will not have an improved relationship with exercise and your body until you say, you know what? I can take a rest day. In fact, I could take two, three Mm -hmm. rest days a week Mm. and it's totally fine. Mm -hmm. If that gives you anxiety, you know you need to take a rest day. On the other hand, if you're the person who rarely goes to the gym, who the idea of going to the gym and working out is very, very difficult and you just keep using the excuse of, oh, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I need a rest day. No, you gotta buck up and you gotta get the fuck to the gym. You gotta work out. And I made a whole post on Instagram recently about this, about willful suffering, right? You're either going to choose to suffer, which is might be the workout for you, or you will suffer down the road. And the, the willful suffering is that when you opt to choose for the workout where you improve your health, you, you feel better, you move better, but you don't enjoy it. Like you might not like working out, but at least you are suffering in a way that's going to benefit you long run. Whereas maybe you choose not to suffer now, but you will suffer down the, down the line because you didn't choose to suffer earlier. Maybe you won't be able to play with your grandkids. Maybe you'll be running out of breath. Maybe you'll, you'll have a shorter lifespan, a shorter, uh, a less quality of life, lesser quality of life. So, and again, this could go back the other way. You have to, you have to willfully suffer, right? When you choose the option that's going to make you anxious, when you choose to take the rest day, if that's anxiety producing for you, you're suffering. Like that is suffering. It would be easier for you to go to the gym and work out because that's sort of, uh, that's preventing you from feeling anxious. That's sort of, that's not dealing with the problem. That's actually, that's completely doing the opposite. That's Mm -hmm. not dealing with the problem. The problem is right now your relationship with exercise and your body. And the only way to overcome it is to face that fear head on. And if you need to take a rest day, force yourself to Mm -hmm. take it because you know it's the right thing to do. A hundred percent. It's not easy, but boy, what a difference you will, you will see just in how you feel, how your body can recover and how much better your workouts are, are getting. Because I'll bet you people like that aren't seeing any progress in the gym anyway. Mm. Right. So yeah, it's tough. Absolutely. But definitely take them you, you you bring up an interesting point that, that like a lot of people who who just religiously go to the gym out of fear they're not seeing progress anymore it, it's very funny it's not funny it's 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 terrible but it's ironic because it's true oftentimes these people weren't really into fitness earlier in their life 
and then they got into fitness and it was a great stress relief for them and they loved it and they saw the progress and the results and it was amazing but after a certain point their their results really slowed down and came to a halt mm -hmm. and now they're just going and going and doing more and doing more and they're not actually getting anywhere mm -hmm. and they're 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 upset but they're they're nervous to take it back a notch because they think if I'm not there yet and then and I'm working this hard yes. then taking it back isn't going to help at all, it's gonna hurt, and they're wrong. What you need to do is you actually need to take a step back because as you know, as you would preach to a friend or a loved one or a client, you need rest in order to recover, to actually make progress, you need to do that for yourself. Yeah. And we become blinded of our progress. Like, you, if you're going through it, you're probably not even totally conscious that you aren't making progress mm. sometimes too. And and that, just, that can keep you spinning. Um, but I think underlying fear is, is what drives this, and, and it's, it's not easy to take that step back, but once you take the first step back, the next one gets a little bit easier, and the one after that's easier, and boy, will you feel rejuvenated pretty soon. 100%. Okay, so this is a good question from Maria. Yes. <laughs> uh, she wrote, single sets versus supersets. Uh, what do you think? So actually, you know, let, let's just... Clarify, single sets versus supersets. Single sets are, um, let's say you just, we're talking about deadlifts, right? So you do one set of deadlifts, then you rest. And then you do another set of deadlifts, and then you rest. And then you do another set of deadlifts, then you rest. And that's it. So it's just one exercise, right? Versus a superset would be maybe you do a deadlift and combine that with a goblet squat. Or you do a deadlift and combine that with a glute bridge, right? And you go do deadlift, glute bridge, deadlift, glute bridge, deadlift, and you alternate back and forth. So essentially a single set is just one exercise. A superset is alternating back and forth between two exercises. If we're going to get really technical with it, a superset tends to use antagonistic musculature. So uh, for example, we could do push-ups as one and rows as the other because they're opposite muscles, like one pushing, one pulling. Uh, a compound set is the same thing as a superset, except you'd use the same muscular. You'd add agonistic muscles. So you might do a push-up with a bench press, the same muscles. You might do uh, a chin-up with, with an inverted row, similar muscle groups. So for these ones, single sets for supersets, Susan, what do you think? I think this is, I'm, I'm assuming this is coming from which is better, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, f from a what is better perspective. And the thing is there, there's, they both have their purpose and a really good complete program will have both of them included in that program. Agreed. Within a workout, like how the inner circle workouts are. Yep, that's exactly um, right. And, and how you program my workouts. I feel like... Um, it's not either or, and so many people think it has to be an either or. Yes. You know, do I do you know heavy weight and low reps, or do I do, do you know less weight and higher reps? And the, the answer is yes. All of it. <laughs> All exactly. of it. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it's it's not an either or. They work together. And your your best bet is to have a program that has all of that in one workout. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I will say, so for example, in the inner circle workouts, we have both single sets and we have supersets. We also have uh, drop sets, we have metabolic circuits, we have a bunch of different things. And it's all vary, varying depend on, depending on what the goal of the program is, but also at certain points in the program, in like an individual program, what's the goal of that exercise or that, that pairing of exercises or those, the circuit of exercise, what's the goal there? If I'm doing a single exercise, a single set, 
usually that's going to be near the beginning of the workout when the first one to two exercises and generally speaking not always but generally speaking that the goal of that exercise is often strength to get you strong period end of story so oftentimes it's a deadlift or it's a a bench press or it's an overhead press or it's a chin-up or it's a squat big compound movements that are specifically done to increase your full body strength to recruit the most amount of muscle fiber where if it, it generally requires a lot more skill right a deadlift or a squat for example requires a lot of skill a lot of technique so you don't want to be too fatigued when you do that exercise so if you're doing a superset of i don't know squats and, and, I don't know, cable pull-throughs, just random out of my head. I don't think I've ever supersetted a back squat with a cable pull-through, but we'll just say it. If you're supersetting a, a back squat with a cable pull-through, you're going to be more fatigued. It's going to be harder to maintain proper technique, and it's going to be harder to lift as much as you could have otherwise. Mm-hmm. So if the goal of that exercise is to get as strong as you can to lift as much as you can, it doesn't make sense to superset it. So that's in that situation when a single set might be a, uh, a better option. On the other hand, later on in the workouts, the third or fourth exercise grouping, we'll have supersets. And, and sometimes I'll superset, for example, uh, we could do uh, Bulgarian split squats and I'll superset it with like a plank, right? right? So you're getting two different muscle groups. And the goal here is that the, the good part about it is number one for Bulgarian split squat, I'm not trying to maximally load you. Bulgarian split squats suck enough as it is. <laughs> they're brutal. They're mm-hmm. really, really hard. I'm not, there are some instances in which I'll maximally load someone in a Bulgarian split squat earlier on in the workout. But if it's the third or fourth movement in the, in the workout, I'm not going to have, it's not a maximal loading exercise anymore. It's a, it's a sub-maximal exercise to increase the strength of your glutes and your quads and also your core and your grip strength, depending on how you're doing it. But also it's it's for conditioning, it's for athletic performance. And you can actually reduce the total time you spend in the gym if you use supersets. So if you take the exact same workout plan and you do all single sets versus you have a couple of supersets in there, the time spent in the gym will be significantly less because you're alternating back and forth as opposed to doing all one at the, you do like, if you do one, rest two minutes, one, rest two minutes, one, rest two minutes and continue that way versus if you do a superset of two exercises, now you're going to, you're going to cut your time in the gym down dramatically. So I do like supersets for that purpose. And I also like it for the purpose of you have a, a sustained elevation in heart rate your work capacity can improve a lot of people talk about well do i need to do cardio it's like listen if you're doing two to three supersets like your (laughs) your heart rate's going to be up you're doing cardio through your weightlifting You, you will so there are many many benefits to doing that uh so like susan said you want to use all of it. Yeah. A great training program encompasses all of these different tools rather than only using one. Yeah, and and all of the training programs in the inner circle are like that. Yes. Um, purposefully so. So, I, I use a form of program design. If are there any coaches listening, they might. Hopefully, if you're a coach, you know this type of periodization. If you're not, then you've got some research to do. It's called conjugated periodization. Uh, there are many different types of periodization. There's there's undulated periodization. Uh, there's uh, linear periodization. There are many different types of periodization. Conjugated is the one that I started really learning when I got into higher level powerlifting, and it was originally intended for higher level powerlifting, but when I started coaching more general population clients and uh, and really started working with people who just they want to be healthier, they want to get stronger, they want to be more fit, they want to be happier, they want to be healthier. I realized conjugated periodization is the best one in my opinion, and I would I would defend that to the death because the whole purpose of conjugated periodization is it allows you to improve everything at once. 
most other forms of periodization, they focus on one strength or one athletic quality at a time, while the other ones detrain. You don't train those, so you sort of train them in blocks. Sometimes you'll train strength, sometimes you'll train hypertrophy, sometimes you'll train endurance, and, and you do them all in different blocks. So as you improve one, the other ones will get a detraining effect. Conjugated periodization allows you to, to train all of them at the same time. Now the drawback to that would be that you you aren't improving in any one as rapidly as you would if you did more of a block approach. That being said, I think the block approach might actually be better for someone who's say, for example, an Olympic athlete who needs to peak for a competition four years from now and you can work backwards and you can know, okay, so we're gonna have worlds at this time of the year, we're gonna have this competition here and you can, you can manipulate the blocks to fit that athlete schedule. But for everyday people who are not Olympic athletes and you want to build muscle and you want to get stronger and get more defined and lose body fat, it makes it doesn't make sense to detrain certain qualities at different blocks throughout the year. It makes the most sense to improve them all incrementally. Same thing with nutrition. It's like I would way rather you improve everything incrementally rather than only focus on like on one thing at a time. Like I, I, it just doesn't make sense to me. I would rather you slowly improve everything. Sort of like uh, we could say like rapid fat loss versus sustainable fat loss. I'd rather you do more sustainable fat loss approach where you improve your relationship with food and you're also understanding about your body, what foods feel good to you, understanding how to get your nutrition in check, rather than just saying, hey, we're gonna radically reduce your calories for the next two months. Like that doesn't make sense to me. So the, the conjugated periodization approach for me is a much, much more efficient way for regular everyday people. Agreed. Okay, next one, let's see. Okay, here's a, this is gonna go sort of along the same lines, but it's, it's a, is there, this is from Linz Dev. Linz Dev said, is any type of deadlift better or should you just do the damn thing? What do you think, Susan? What, what's your favorite deadlift, Susan? I've been on trap bar a lot. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm starting to really like that. But here's here's the irony here. For the first time, uh, I deadlifted from home just the other day. Uh, I don't have a trap bar at home. Mm. I haven't done that in months. Okay. And just we we drifted away from that and then onto trap bar just for hip related issues. It felt better for me with my hip flaring up at that time, um, and it felt great. Mm. You know. So, what kind of deadlift was it? I was doing like a modified sumo. Oh, cool. So like a yeah. slightly narrower stance yeah. sumo. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which felt, for the first time in I can't tell you how long, wow. they actually felt great. Because I took time away and went to a trap bar for a while. And here's here's the interesting thing, kind of playing to this question. I didn't lose strength. I didn't, I didn't lose. I actually mm. probably gained strength going to a different variation. And I think trap bar in particular gets looked at as less than sometimes mm -hmm. by people because it's not the bar and the plates and you know it I, I don't know but it um, I would I would just say they're just different and I think they all have and you obviously can speak to this but they all have their purpose and their their place and it's not that one's better than the other I mean one might be better for an individual That's than it. another yep. you know but they all have their purpose yeah I, I agree completely I'm obviously, I think, the world's biggest proponent of deadlifts. I'm just, like, obsessed with them. I think there's always a deadlift for everybody. Uh, and I think they're just, there's no exercise that, if you want to talk about functional, 
right? If you want to talk about f like a functional exercise, there's literally no exercise that's more functional than teaching you how to pick heavy things up off the ground. Like, there's nothing more fun. Like, okay, everybody at some point in their life is going to have to pick something heavy mm -hmm. off the ground. And you might as well not only strengthen your body in that position, but learn how to do it safely. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, it doesn't make sense to me, the coaches who are saying, oh, deadlifts are unsafe. It's like, really? So what are you going to tell your client when they got to pick a bag of luggage up and to go to the airport and put it on the counter to, to weigh how much it is? Yeah. It's going to weigh, a, it's got to weigh at probably 50 pounds. I mean, if it's my fiance, it's going to weigh like 100 pounds because <laughs> she packed way over packs, right? It's like, you, you can't just tell people never to pick things up. Mm -hmm. I would rather them get stronger and learn how to use that movement pro movement pattern properly. And that's what a deadlift is. It's yeah. just picking something up off the ground. And the cool part about doing different deadlift variations is you can learn which one will be better for you, which one will feel better. So that in a situation when you're picking grocery bags up off the floor, when you're picking bags of luggage up, when you're moving across the country or moving homes, whatever it is, like you can pick up the boxes without being worried about your back giving out. It is so, so important to, do, to deadlift for no other reason than just because it's gonna make you stronger and safer. Now, obviously, if you deadlift with terrible technique, you're probably gonna hurt yourself. Yeah. But if you do anything with terrible technique, <laughs> you're gonna hurt yourself. Yeah. Like, you could, you could literally do a, a bicep curl with terrible technique and tear your bicep. You could hurt your shoulder. Like Using the argument like, well, if you do it wrong, then it's dangerous. Of course, numb nuts. Obviously, doing it wrong is going to be dangerous. So you want to learn how to do it properly. Now, to answer the question of which one is better, just do the damn thing, I'd say, number one, just do the damn thing. Mm -hmm. Number two is that the one that's better is the one that feels best for you. Yeah. And and the cool part about this is that could change over time, sort of like what you were saying. Mm -hmm. Like When I was younger, uh, a very wide stance sumo deadlift felt really good for me. I really liked a wider stance sumo deadlift. But after my powerlifting career, I noticed a moderate stance sumo deadlift, like sort of in between regular sumo and conventional, felt way better for me, for my hips, for my back. I was able to generate a lot more power and force. I've noticed much more transfer and carryover to athletic performance. So, I mean, for me, a moderate stance sumo deadlift feels great right now. Um, but just do the damn thing mm -hmm. and start lighter than heavier. You'd rather start too light. I will say this. And once you get me talking about deadlifts, I just go off. <laughs> I've noticed there have been a lot of people saying, if you can't lower the bar to the ground uh, without like really, really controlling it, then the weight's too heavy. That's wrong. I'm just going to put that out there. That's incorrect. I, would, I could say like if you're doing a chin-up and you can't fully lower yourself all the way back down under control, then you have to improve. Yes, you, you don't just wanna drop from the chin-up bar all the way to the bottom. You don't just wanna drop a, a, a bicep curl down to the bottom. But if you're doing a, a maximal effort deadlift, if you're lifting really heavy, like you actually don't want to be slowly controlling that thing to the ground for any number of reasons. That is actually gonna be a little bit more dangerous. You do want a slightly what's called overspeed eccentric on the way down. Now, if you're doing a Romanian deadlift, that's a different story. Controlling it on the way down, absolutely. But it's actually safer to come down more quickly on a regular deadlift to the floor than it is to control it all the way down. So it doesn't mean just drop it. Well, I was just gonna say, yeah, we see numb nuts that do that too, yeah, it right? It doesn't mean just let go at the top. I've seen people do that. I've seen people do that with their knees bent and the bar fell on their knees. Like, you don't just wanna drop it, but 
you come down a little bit over speedy centric with the regular deadlift. That's okay, which I understand it can be annoying if you're at the gym because someone is doing it and like it's making a lot of noise, but they're actually keeping themselves safe by doing that. So I've noticed a lot of people at gyms get really upset like, oh my God, that person shouldn't be lifting that heavy. It's like, no, if you actually watch for any Olympic weightlifter, they're letting the bar go. That's what you do to, to actually be – find me any Olympic weightlifter. Go on YouTube. Find me any Olympic weightlifter who slowly controls the bar to the ground. Yeah. I'll give you 100 bucks. Like you're not going to find it. So it's actually an important thing to understand about deadlifts. Um, okay. Last question, Susan. Uh, Caitlin's underscore 22 said, are the inner circle workouts interchangeable from the gym to your home? I would change the word interchangeable to modify. That's, yep, that's perfect. Um, Because interchangeable, I don't know, you know, if you don't have a barbell and plates, that's interchangeable, you know. Correct. No, modifiable, absolutely. And I think the thing to remember, especially with with the, the workouts in the inner circle, in general, maybe not for each specific workout, but in general, anything that uses a barbell, you can use dumbbells or a kettlebell. Anything that uses cables, you could probably rig up and use a band. Yep. And so from that point, you would be good with just about any of those workouts that we have, right? Yeah. I mean, really. But in addition to that, we have a whole slew of more at-home friendly workouts, which require either no equipment at all or minimal equipment like just dumbbells or you know maybe a kettlebell or whatever it, there are a lot of options so if that's your hesitancy about should i join we have you covered for that we absolutely have you covered yeah yep that's exactly right uh we have workouts for the vast majority of situations so let's say you you have literally zero equipment like you have literally zero equipment obviously this is not optimal Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna BS you. Yeah. Obviously, having zero equipment is not optimal. But we have entire workouts that are solely body weight focused. So you can do them no matter your whether you're advanced or beginner, whether you've worked out for ten years or never worked out before. We have a body weight workout program that you can do if you have no equipment. We have dumbbell only workout programs. Again, fit for anybody who's a complete beginner all the way to an, a very advanced trainee. Um, we've got kettlebell programs. Uh, the the majority of programs that we do and, and that we write every month, the, the main programs that Inner Circle members follow have a combination of barbell and dumbbell. And uh, it's usually barbell and dumbbell. Sometimes mm-hmm. like a physio ball will be included. Sometimes a cable machine will be included. But everything, like Susan said, is modifiable. Yeah. There's nothing that we do that uh, that can't be modified. And generally, the programs are, are made more for the beginner to intermediate lifter. There are some pretty high-level lifters in the inner circle. They're not the majority. They're, they're significantly the minority. Uh, and if you look at the programs, they're very basic. They're very basic. They're very doable. We have exercise video tutorials for everything. If you're at a point in your lifting career in which you want something more advanced, you can modify it for that. For example, Susan and I were talking today about why we don't program front squats, like barbell front squats. We do dumbbell front squats, but barbell front squats, generally more advanced, generally significantly more uncomfortable on your neck and your shoulders. They're just, they're a great exercise, but they require significantly more mobility. And and you have to have a very high understanding of technique in order to do a barbell front squat properly. So we generally don't program those, but there are members in the inner circle who will be like, hey, I want to do front squats. Can I substitute them this month for the regular squats? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's it's very modifiable. You can do it with whatever equipment you have available. And it's really, I mean, we're super excited because the app is just crushing. It's crushing. It's It's been really cool to see uh, the engagement in the app, not just in the Facebook group, but on the back end. Like we can see the analytics of how people are using it. And it is crazy to see how many people are using it consistently. Not only the workouts and the exercise videos, but we have a brand new consistency calendar in there that like if you struggle with consistency, it's unbelievable. You can track your consistency with not only with training and nutrition, but literally whatever you want in your life. Uh, it's a really, really unique aspect of the app that I haven't seen anywhere else. Upcoming, we have uh, in the works right now a weight tracker that's going to show you not just what you weigh, but it's going to show you your trend line. So if you struggle with understanding how to find the trend of your weight, which is what Susan and I talk about all the time, it's going to be in there for you. It's literally going to be a part of the app, and you can like click this button that says draw my trend line, and it will show you what your trend is going to be. So uh, if you want access to the app, here's the pitch. It's coming. Get ready for it. If you want access to the Inner Circle and the Inner Circle app, if you if you want access to the app, you have to be in the Inner Circle. Mm -hmm. So this is not an app in the App Store. It's a web app that you get access to once you join. And if you want to join, literally today is the best day because you get 30% off. This is the last day to celebrate my 30th birthday. If you go to sfinnercircle.com, go to the link in the show notes, and you, you use 30 for 30, at the discount, you'll get 30% off. But it's after today. After today, it's over. So if you're listening on Monday or Tuesday, I'm sorry, but you gotta hop on quicker. So uh, that's it. Susan, uh, could you remind everyone where they can find you? Sure. Um, pretty much anywhere. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Susan Niebergall Fitness, and uh, the Strong and Lean at Any Age podcast. And we hope to see you inside the Inner Circle. We would love to see you there. Have a wonderful day. <laughs>